Hi, I'm Patrick. And I'm Alex. And this is Swirl Talk 901. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. So, Alex, today we're going to talk about something that's going to make you extremely uncomfortable. And I'm glad I'm it here will. For it. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm completely glad that it will. Um, it surprises me, or it surprised me when you and our producer Mary brought this up, and I was like, mm-hmm. like, okay, y'all really want to get into this? Let's let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah. yeah. And that's you know someone who uh, you know, we've talked about many times. The president of our focus group, um, my friend, uh, mentioned it to her, and she goes, "Oh, so y'all gonna get real deep?" Right, exactly. Okay. Let's see. And she was like, "Well, here are the examples that I have." <laughs> and listed several for me, and I was like, okay. "Ouch!" Yeah. Thank there you. you. Go. <laughs> so today's episode is gonna be about white savior. Um, Wikipedia terms white savior refers to a white person who provides help to non-white people in a self-serving manner and is sometimes combined with a savior complex and descriptions of white savior complex. This role is considered a modern day version of what is expressed in the poem The White Man's Burden by Rudyard Kipling. The term has been associated with Africa and certain characters in film and television have been critiqued as white savior figures. Writer Tehu Cole combined the term with industrial complex and similarly applied elsewhere to coin white savior industrial complex. Now, to me, that just sounds a whole lot like Superman, like coming in to save everybody and then flying off. Now, the mm. Urban Dictionary defines white savior. I'm much more comfortable with Urban Dictionary <laughs> than Wikipedia. Have we not talked about how much I hate Wikipedia? But I didn't feel like that was the time for me to step right. in and correct right. you. <laughs> so you're going to correct me now, okay? Right, like, so, let me yeah. just walk all over what you're saying about the white savior complex. So let me, let me say you. that white savior was not in Webster's Dictionary, which surprised me. Because yeah. I was pretty sure they had updated it, but it was not in there. So uh, Urban Dictionary says that white savior refers to Western people going to fix the problems of struggling nations or people of color without understanding their history, needs, or the region's current state of affairs. Mm-hmm. See, that sounds a little bit more like what I'm, what I consider a white savior to be in this world. Um, yeah. it is, it's one of those words where you're like, okay, well, here comes, you know, it's, it's funny. Rob and I were going to, um, a comic book shop today. They're having a sale. And afterwards we were headed to this flea market, which is downtown. And Rob is going the way that the GPS tells him to go. And we passed through a project area, the inner city project area. And I was looking up the term for white savior, and I wish I could have snapped a picture that quickly because there were these, all these little black and brown children circled around these two white people that were handing them stuff. And Mm -hmm. I was like, there you go. 
that right there is my definition of a white savior who spends a few hours in a housing project and goes home to tell their family how they saved the world. How they mm-hmm. how they saved on Facebook. Those, right. How they saved those poor those poor little colored children by bringing them candy or popsicles and a and a Bible, one of those Gideon Bibles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what does white savior mean to you, Alex, our resident white woman? <laughs> tell tell me what that term means to you and how it sits in your in your everyday life. I guess would be the way to put that. <laughs> well, it's through doing the research for this and some of the um, different books that I've read and things over the past few years, mm-hmm. I've learned more and more that. I am like I've been involved in many things that were definitely representative of the white savior complex like in what? churches. Okay. Um, I mean, I you know when I was fourteen, um, I went on a mission trip to right on the other side of the border uh, in Mexico, and like we stayed in Texas and crossed the border every day. Okay. To it was a bunch of. Um, it was a bunch of different churches in Mississippi, I think, just in Mississippi, um, that were the Assemblies of God, um, you know, like the Pentecostal, the denomination that I was raised. Mm. Um, so we all gathered together our different youth groups and went to Mexico um, and um, talked about Jesus to these uh, kids in very poor communities in Mexico and put on skits for them. And I think we did something about construction in the church. Like, why? I don't. It was, yeah. But it really was like telling everybody about it. Okay, like going let me ask back you and question. sharing your mission trip story. Were there any people that were ethnic that went with you? No. Okay. So it was a bunch of lily white people uh-huh. went to Mexico uh-huh. to right, yeah, right, just right over the border. We stayed right, in Texas, right at over night the border, in a in church Texas in Texas. Night. Yeah, went right over the border to talk to people about. I'm assuming white Jesus because white Jesus, yeah, yeah. white Jesus. Okay, good. I, sure. I wasn't sure. I w- I'm pretty sure. Oh, it was most definitely white Jesus. <laughs> we were trying to save their souls. Oh, of course, not because, their lives. Because there were, I mean, clearly they had no understanding of Jesus because yeah. they didn't speak the native tongue of the white man. So how could they know about mm-hmm. God unless they speak English, the Queen's English? Well, yeah, the Queen's English. Um, yeah, it, it just, I, you know, I think back on that, and I think so many people are well-intentioned, but what what in the actual fuck were we doing there? The road like, to instead hell. Of, the road to hell right, is paid for good intentions. Yeah, like, we could, we saved up money, you know, we raised money to go on that trip and to, uh, we made a, a newsletter about it afterwards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with pictures. I made my own newsletter about this trip, Patrick. 
with pictures of me and those brown babies. Okay. Now, how many pictures did you take with you hugging and smiling with them? Yeah. A lot. Hugging and smiling with them. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that makes and with sense. the white faces, the yeah. whole group of white faces. Of course. With the of course. Now, did you find brown unattractive brown children? Or did you take pictures with the prettiest brown children you could find? Oh, I'm sure it was, you know, subconsciously, I'm sure we picked the more attractive ones. Of course, yeah. That's not something that I've ever considered, but my instant reaction to that is, yeah, probably. Yeah, of course. I mean, because it really was a lot about being the savior. Like, the way that I was raised, you know, in the... um, you know, evangelical Christian community is you spread the word of Jesus Mm -hmm. and you save souls. Like instead of raising all that money and sending it to that community to buy the things that they need or to, you know, pay the people who live there to work on the things that they need to do, the supplies that they need for their houses Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. instead we just told stories about how poor they were and put on skits for them. Okay. So let me, what were, what were one of the skits? Just, I mean, um, just curious. I remember one very specific one um, that was called Chains. Mm. And um, mm. it was about drinking and smoking and okay. I'm sure pornography okay. Um, okay. and all kinds of stuff. Like it was about all the sins and how they weigh on you. So okay. somebody was in the middle and somebody who was drinking or smoking or whatever would put this big chain on them. Okay. Okay. It was super powerful. Okay. So um, so you felt you saved souls while you were down there. Definitely. Okay. I mean there were chains, okay. Patrick. It was like it was a music video. Oh god, it was a something music that video. has recently been described to me as a human video. Human video. To sound okay. as creepy as possible. I didn't know that's what we were doing, but that was a hundred percent what we were doing. I was recently talking to some friends who were raised in the same environment and went to, you know, different uh, I hate to say cult gatherings, but that, you I know, mean, different things, you know, and they're the human videos, they did the same thing. It was like drag, but much more boring. <laughs> the costumes weren't good. There was, I, I, like, no I feel makeup, you there. I feel you. So, but there was a lot of pantomiming. And growing for up, Jesus. I never heard of mission trips because I went to a um, black Catholic church in Georgia. And apparently black people don't do mission trips like white people do mission trips. Like when we go somewhere, we go for a specific reason to watch a specific person, to hear a specific person speak. And we rarely ever go to a foreign country for that. Now, and now that's what... That's why when I joined a church that had, um, I was one of five black people and the other black people were a family and I wasn't, um, when they talked about going on mission trips or, you know, raising money for mission trips, I asked, I was like, well, what's a mission trip? And you would have thought I asked them who Jesus Christ was. I have never, like, the reaction was like... (gasps) Literal pearls were clenched. The guttural reaction was so incredible that I was like, ooh, that's something you should know about. Right, like, are you sure you're a Christian? Right, exactly. (laughs) I was just like, maybe I've been lying to myself 
all my life. Maybe I just don't know what a Christian is. So um, it's very interesting to hear other people and their stories about things like that. So you have all these superstars um, who work for UNICEF and for Doctors Without Borders and for all these organizations that are, are predominantly um, Caucasian going to help these third world countries and stuff like that. When we have people here in the States who live on the street, don't have enough money for general health care, don't have food to eat, are one paycheck away from being homeless, but we still rush to give our money to to other countries, which isn't the problem itself. But no, and it's because it's not that we're giving money to other countries. It's that we're giving money to our people to go and evangelize right, exactly, other countries. Exactly. Like it's always there are always strings attached in, in mission trips. Always. So my question is, being a quote unquote woke white woman now compared to who you were then. You saw what you were doing as being an awful person, <laughs> or did you see yourself as being a good person for what you were trying to do then? I can't even act like I'm on the other side of it because through, you know, I, I think that I know something. And then just through us doing the research for this episode, um, I've learned so much more about those things. I didn't put much thought into those trips into the implications and the insinuations of all of those trips and what we were doing there and the impact that we were actually having on them. I didn't put a lot of thought into that until recently when, and, and you know, I, I mean, I've thought about it as I've deconstructed my faith from what it was then to whatever it is now, whatever it might be tomorrow, um, you know, I've thought about the evangelist part of it. Um, but until we started specifically talking about the white savior complex part of it, I hadn't, I hadn't really dug as deep into it. So to answer your question more, yes, I do see the horrible things and some of the things that I've done okay. and um, how hurtful they were to people and um, and I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity now to learn um, just like I was saying through the research for this episode I read the definitions different ones like um, one that I read on here uh, I, I read a few different articles, and this one was uh, white savior complex is a term that's used to describe what white people who consider themselves wonderful helpers to black, indigenous, and people of color, um, but they help for the wrong reasons and sometimes end up doing more to hurt than help. Um, 
and it was it made sure to say like keep this in mind not everybody not all white people who help people are that way but there's a lot that it was you know i mean I grew up around huge posters and kitchen magnets and all this stuff. This huge white family going to Honduras and uh, the Maldives and all this stuff, like, and talking about how horrible these communities are and how much they did to help them. Right. And how many souls they saved and things like that. And it's colonization. Oh, oh. At its core. That was going to be my next turn or my next question, because when you think about and we're kind of talking about in the broad sense of mission trips, but that's not the only thing we're going to be discussing. But right. When, it's both domestic right, and foreign. Yes, yes. <laughs> when you think about the broad screen scheme of. Okay, so this is how you preach to other people. You go and tell them about something that you assume they have no idea about. You assume Mm -hmm. that they have no idea what God is. So you teach them about your white version of God and Mm -hmm. what he's done for you. And then you're kind of like, okay, so do you believe in God? Yes. What do you call him? Yahweh. Why do you call him that? Well, that means Jesus in our language or words, so forth and so on. So you're kind of like, okay, so you do believe in God. Yes. So you do believe in Jesus. Yes. But do you believe in the right Jesus? Mm-hmm. The right Jesus. You have to believe this way. Right. You have you to believe, have to believe in, certain things, in, bullet in points. our like. Jesus. Mm-hmm. In order it's to go to It's the Western, you know, Christian nationalist, mm-hmm. you know, the patriarchy. Yes, it's yes. It's a very yes. white patriarchal culture. So you you go down there and you spend, I'm um, assuming you went for a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. You spend a week. I believe it was nine days. Nine days. Oh, from, nine days. I apologize. From Mississippi to Texas well, that's, to Mexico back but, to yeah, Mississippi. Yeah, so two, two days travel. Right. Two days travel. So, yeah, you went down there for a week. Seven to days Texas. to save souls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you went down there for a week and you tried to teach these people about your version of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Do you feel Jesus? Yeah, white Jesus. I mean, he's your version of Jesus is white Jesus. My version of Jesus is black Jesus. Um, a Latino's version of Jesus is Latino Jesus. I mean, that, that's how we were sure. all raised and that's how we all grew up. And so, um, well, did we know all our Jesus is wrong and he was actually of Arabic descent? So there you go. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Exactly. He was, he was neither black, white, or Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever. That's, but look what we've done to right, him. Right, exactly. In, in, well, let's just say in the United States and in these mission trips that you see, it's white Jesus. Yes. Because that's the colonization part. Yes. Yes. So you, you've gone down there and you've represented yourself and you made yourself feel better. And you probably sat on that high for a good three weeks to a month. You were like, yeah, man. something like that. I went on Well, this. with the newsletter. Yeah, yeah, with this newsletter, of course. I went down mm-hmm. here and I taught all these people about Jesus and I saved all their souls. And they're mm-hmm. going to go and be awesome people. Did you get a pen pal while you were down there? 
No. No pen pals. They were much younger. So yeah. you couldn't even keep up with them. So you have no idea if you say they're so That wasn't not. the point. We had pictures. <laughs> yeah. Why would I need to keep in contact with these people? Well, I mean, just to make sure that their their soul was still being saved. Like, just mm-hmm. say, hey, you remember no, me? I'm Alex. that's not how it works. <laughs> it's one and done. Hit it and quit it. So how, oh my God. So how many mission trips did you go on as a child? Um, That was the only foreign mission trip mm-hmm. I went on. Uh, the others, I mean, we did like, uh, yeah, that was definitely the only mission trip that okay. I went on. We did like evangelizing in different communities and stuff, but. Now um, different communities. Nothing what quite what that. communities did you visit? Well, we would um, meet at the church on Monday nights mm-hmm. and um, we would talk about the people who signed filled out cards mm-hmm. um, the Sunday before and we would go to their homes oh. and talk to them about you Jesus up, you and then we would come home Mm-hmm. We showed up at their house and knocked on their door and forced ourselves into their living rooms <laughs> where we made them recite <laughs> these things that were on a pamphlet to save their soul, Patrick. Oh and then we went back to the church. So we had dinner before and then we went back to the church for dessert and mm-hmm. talked about how many souls we saved. Did you take any food over there with you to their house? No. You didn't? No. You didn't want to break the bread. The food was them. all for us. No. You didn't want to break bread with them. You just wanted to no. save their souls. Okay. That's, uh-huh. I mean, hey, who am I to judge how you save souls? Mm-hmm. That's how you mm-hmm. save souls. I sing songs and hopefully people, you know, listen. Some of them are about Jesus. So there you go. So we both mm-hmm. evangelize in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just. I I remember having a discussion with my friends a long time ago about we were talking about um, evangelism and we were talking about, you know, going places to teach people about the word of God. And at the time I was like 16, 17. I was the youngest of the group that I was with. And I was like, well, why do, why are we going to teach them about something they already know about? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, are you seriously thinking these people do not know anything about God who live (laughs) in extremely provished area, who have zero to no money or no for food, water, all that stuff? How do you think they don't know about God? And, And they're like, if they knew about God, they'd be here. Yes, at the biggest church, Six Flags Over Jesus, that is umpteen miles away from their homes, they'd be here on Sunday if they knew about God. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, that, you're, what am I talking about? You're absolutely right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's crazy to hear what you consider back then to be evangelism. And what you well, and I was shocked as shit when um, the president of our focus group and you just now said that you you'd never been on mission trips or that was never a thing in the church. I was like, "What do you mean? <laughs> like, how do you?" <laughs> you know, what do you talk about in your newsletter? <laughs> 
we never had a newsletter. Right. And that's the thing, like that that's the thing about our culture because at the heart of the white savior complex, at the very core of it, is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. We're saying that we're better than everybody and they need to be exactly like us or their souls are damned to hell. Yes. Like, it's bad enough you're black. Like, we've right, got to exactly. try to save your soul. Exactly. So, and, and I didn't think... <clears throat> I know it sounds crazy, but until really doing the research into here, I didn't think how they, how much the white savior complex is inextricably linked to portrayals of every race mm-hmm. um, and those implicit biases that are um, and internalized biases that are placed on everybody in this culture. And, um, you know, I was talking to my friend about different experiences that she's had with white savior complexes. And she said, you know, really the internalized racism that she felt with, you know, when she wanted her hair to be straight and yeah. things like that, yeah. because white is better, right? Yes. Like the white saver, the, they're, we're the ones trying to take care of everybody mm-hmm. and, you know, save their souls. And she, she gave an example of a teacher when she was in school, she kept forgetting her lunch because she's a kid. And, um, you know, she, she kept forgetting her lunch and this white teacher insisted that she didn't have any money and that he would have to pay for her lunch and everything. And it really like had said something to her dad about it. And it made him so mad. Like, you know, here he comes all along. Well, you're black, so you must not have any money. Oh, my goodness. It's funny you should say that because um, my grandmother growing up, we lived with my grandmother up until I was 12 or 13 years old. She would not let us go trick-or-treating as children. And I was always like... Well, I want I want to go to trick or treating, and she was like, "Why?" And I was like, "Cause you get free candy." She's like, "I'll buy you candy," and I was like, "Well, I wanna I wanna go door to door." So you wanna go door to door, dressed in a costume, and beg for candy? <laughs> and I was like, "I'm not begging for candy. I it's trick or treating." And she's like, "You're begging for candy." <laughs> you're dressing you, up and you're pouring drinking, yourself out for candy. You're begging for candy. And it kind of... She ain't it, wrong. It took, it took, of course, years and years before I realized what she was saying. And I was like, oh, my God. They are begging for candy. They're like, trick or treat. Mm-hmm. And they hold out their bags. And you put candy in it. And you're thinking... Um, oh my goodness! You, you're this. This person needs your candy. They need mm-hmm. all the goods that you have. So she never let us go trick or treating. She, um, she, <laughs> she Holly and us took us to church for different things that were always on Halloween, and I, I it took me a while to realize what she was doing. And I was like, well, Grandma, I want to go trick-or-treating. She was like, you can go trick-or-treating when you live with your mom. And I was like, and I thought it was a God thing, but she was just like, no, I don't want you begging. That That's exactly what you'll be doing. You'll be begging. Mm. So it's, it's one of those 
cultural things, there's so many different facets of it. You're kind of like, will I be begging? Am I begging? Is this considered begging? And why is it okay for you to do it, but not okay for me to do it? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting just scenario to examine in this lens like thinking of it um because maybe it did have something you know her pride mm-hmm. like she didn't like the you know she didn't like the begging i will buy you candy like you do not have to go to somebody's house and do yeah that. <laughs> because of things that she's done before maybe you know either perceptions that have you know portrayals of people that she disagrees with or times in her life where it was something like that, you know? And then you've got to think of too how it's it's different for me to put on a costume and go to somebody's store than it is for you to put on a costume and go to somebody's yes, store. Very so there's a so. lot of stuff that go in through grandma's mind yes. where she's like, uh, when you when you live with your mom, you can do that. Yes, but exactly. Here, and I, I, remember, I went to the store and I got you the good candy. <laughs> I remember <laughs> each year she would get us a costume. She'd let us go to the store, pick out our costumes. And it was it was never about like, I was like, maybe we're poor, and I just don't realize it. It was never about the money. She just really had a problem with us going door to door, begging for something. And so my first year in Memphis, uh, I went trick-or-treating with my best friend at the time, and we probably stayed out to about 10 o'clock. We were just mm-hmm. trick-or-treating the store, we hit the neighborhood, we hit the apartment, hit the houses, we brought back so mm-hmm. much candy. And I remember talking to my grandmother the next day, and I was like, Grandma, I went trick-or-treating. She was like, you begged? I was like, no, I went trick-or-treating. She was like, you begged? And I was just like, Grandma, I went trick-or-treating. She was like, okay. And she got on the phone and told my mother about it. And my mother was like, he just went trick-or-treating, Mom. And she was just like, no, he begged. Like That's all she thought about. He put on a costume and he begged. Exactly. And it took years for me to realize what she was saying or what I should have, I should have understood then what she was telling me. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to perceptions. If The rules are different for yes, you. Yes, the rules are very different for me than it would be for you, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Like... There's just certain things that is not acceptable for me to do, but you could do it and it'd be mm-hmm. all right. Or you could say this and it'd be okay. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this is this is very interesting. So now let's talk about saviors within the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that thought to my mind was people was Caucasian people who stand up for BLM Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. organization Mm -hmm. and I remember watching something on the news one day and they were talking about how Black Lives Matter demonstration became violent in a certain city or state I can't remember which one and all they showed were a group of black people marching down the street and their their white compatriots like shoving people out of the way or like p- 
picking up stuff and hitting people with the um, stuff that was thrown at them, but, you know, they were retaliating against them. Not one black person threw a thing. Not one black person shoved or hit or punched or anything like that. It was there. It was most of the white people were just like, they're like, hey, that's not okay. Shoving, pushing, hitting, punching. And I'm like, well, there's a savior. That person Mm -hmm. is there to save. Like, it just kind of struck me as, okay, there you go. That that's a savior that's a problem right there I wonder what you think Mm -hmm. about that I think that anybody who is a white person involved in something like the Black Lives Matter movement standing up publicly um, with these organizations and for these um, important causes I think that you should absolutely have a higher um, sense of calm, like higher tolerance to all that stuff. There's no excuse for you to retaliate in any of that kind of way. You've got to take it more so than anybody else does. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was listening to a podcast um, on the white savior complex, and he mentioned um, something in, I think it was a Detroit march, where there was um, there was violence and looting in a peaceful protest. Like, it, there, but there were people who started throwing, you know, bricks through windows and things like that. And it was white people who were doing that. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you absolutely cannot go into that space and bring you know, negativity into it. And that's, that's the part where they're doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. You know, that's in that, you know, articles definition of it, doing more harm than good. Like you think that you're just being passionate, but at the core of that again is, you know, they're making that demonstration look bad. Cause they're not going to, in the news, the news is not going to point out that a white person did it. Mm-hmm. They're going to point Never. out that it happened at a Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. rally or, or a group meeting or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about how you have um, some white cops who go to these events and not. Let me say this. All cops are not bad. All white cops are not bad. All black cops are not bad. This is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that some groups who want to create anarchy, create anger and hostility, will portray themselves as members of another organization and sort of go out there to start a fight mm-hmm. and then turn around and, hey, look too. at me, I'm a cop. You can't do that. That's not okay. You're going to jail. And someone's like, but you were the one who threw it. You you mm-hmm. started it. Oh, no, I didn't. I, I was here peacefully making sure that you bad people did not do anything. And it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy that that is what the world has become again. Like, this is, it's slowly but surely working its way around to the way that it was 60, 70, 80 years ago. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, kind of what um, 
we were talking. Oh, crap. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. You're fine. Got to pause for a second. Um, what was I going to say? How bad white people were. The violence. Yeah. <laughs> that's in every point. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. I got okay. it. Um, well, that's also at the core of my point about this being a forced perception, a very intentional cultural shaping of the perception of people of color, of any non-white person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've used popular culture and the media to you know, further um, solidify that in our minds. Um, just like my friend was talking about with, you know, her, she didn't see herself as beautiful because her hair wasn't straight. And mm-hmm. she wanted, um, she wanted to have straight hair because that's what was portrayed as attractive. Right. Um, that, that was the right way to be. And that is influenced by white people. Yeah. Um, I mean, look how straight my hair is, yes. you know, yeah. and I'm just like, it's, it, it's, it's, so woven into our culture that like you it's implicit biases um i was talking to another friend who's a white woman and she called me one day very very upset because she was at the gas station and um this guy she said he was a um an older black gentleman was getting some gas, and I think he only got, like, a small amount or mm-hmm. something. He said he only put, like, $3 into it or something. And she was behind him paying for gas. She's like, hey, do you do you mind if I fill up your tank? Like, just kind of a pay-it-forward type of thing mm-hmm. is what she was thinking. And he got really upset with her. He said that he didn't need her white money. And <laughs> she was like, okay, you know— Okay, I'm I'm sorry, and um, she was so upset. Like she called me crying, white tears, you know. <laughs> um, but she thought that what she was doing was admirable, or like was helping somebody because, like, what she's been taught to think is that you know, there that black people don't have any money. Just like right. you know, they were saying black people are poorer, or you know, we you know we have more than they do. Again, the white superior, you know, uh, white supremacy thing. White is better. Like we are better. And where she thought that she was doing good, like there's there's more to that than just you know. You have to do some self examination there when things like that happen. And that's why she called me to talk about it. She was like, "What did I do?" And I said, well, maybe he's had some really bad experiences with white women, mm-hmm. white people in general. Just maybe, you know, a, a it might older be a black bit. gentleman, be a like he might have, right. Maybe he's had some negative experiences. Maybe, you know, his pride was hurt when, you know, you did that. It was none of your business that he was getting $3 worth of gas. He might have just been filling up, you know, Enough a gas get tank him home or something. Right. Yeah, get him home that day. And he had borrowed somebody's car, and he didn't really like him. And he was like, fuck that guy. I'm only going to put $3 <laughs> in this car. $3, you know, I mean, that's how much I use. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's maybe that's what it was, you know. And we've just been taught that, you know, we're in higher esteem. And so we can just assume that they need our help. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that that is that's one of those things where I feel so bad for your friend but I also like not really yeah (laughs) no it's not not really yeah no it totally is not really um (laughs) it's it's more of an issue of wow that must suck to be you at this time and place because you were trying to help someone but you also stuck your nose into someone else's business you have no idea what's going on in that man's life that man could have been sitting on hundreds and was just just like you said that petty that all he wanted to put was three dollars in that gas tank he was like i've got to use this person's car i've got to give them gas but i'll be damned if i give them more than three dollars like i no, i didn't use that car that much so what's your immediate reaction to that story? Or if you had um, seen that situation happen? Or maybe a time so, when you have seen something like that? So, <laughs> so for me, I recall this one time I took my nephew to a toy store. And before we went in, I told him, we're only here killing time. I'm not buying you anything. We're only here because I've got to pick up someone and they, they're not off for another 20 minutes. Like, it was just like, we're killing time. And he was six or seven years old. I said, do you understand? Yeah, I understand. I'm not buying you anything. You're not buying me anything. If I act a fool, or if you act a fool, that's your ass. I understand. Okay, uh-huh. good. So we went to that store. Everything was fine. I looked at my watch. It was time to go. And he goes, but I want this. I'm like, but I told you I wasn't buying you anything. We're just killing time. And he looks me dead in my face. He goes, but I want this. And I was like, don't do it. (laughs) He goes, I want, I want. And just like pitched a fit. This little white woman comes up behind me. She's like, I'll get it for him. Don't worry. Oh, the hell Jesus. you will. I was oh, like, Jesus. I will die before anybody buys this child yeah. anything because this little badass is acting a fool. No, no. I snatched him up, took him outside, <sighs> and I beat his behind right there in front of that store. And we were picking up his mother. And I told her about it. And she wanted to beat him. And I was like, no, 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 I've already done it. She's like, okay. And we we talked so bad to him about his behavior all the way home. This was in Germantown. I lived in Midtown at the time, all the way home. And he was like, but I wanted it. I, no, no. I don't care what you want. There are certain ways you can get it, but that, and that damn ain't shit. It. I was just like, how dare you embarrass me in front of all those white people? I was just like so <laughs> mortified by what he did. Ugh. And it just, it, there, I'm sure there are wonderful people in this world who want to do nothing but good for others. Good for you. I'm, I'm so happy that you're that type of individual. No. Never present yourself in a way to seem like you're trying to save or capture or build the hope of a young black or brown individual by how much money you have in your wallet. By, like, no. 
no, 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 no. That's not the way to do things. That's not the way to do things. So, yeah, I mean, and that's one of many examples I have. There have always been a white savior in my world who has tried to rescue me from some sort of thing that they perceived I was going through or some intention that they felt that um, I needed their help in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's crazy. So what do you think about, so you've given some examples of that in your personal life. What do you think about it from like a media perspective? I mean, <sighs> constant portrayals of, you know, the white funded media puts all people of color, any non-white people or even, you know, yeah, let's just stick with the with the race side of it or ethnicity side of it. Um, you know, they put they put people into boxes and you know, these big blockbuster movies like The Blind Side. Yes, I was just about to say that. Yes. Can I hear your feelings on The Blind Side? <laughs> so, <laughs> I love Sandra Bullock. Oh, who doesn't? She, who doesn't? She, she's American. That's gem. the only reason it hurt my feelings. <laughs> like uh, it, it hurt my gem. feelings that that I hate. You know, I mean, you know what I mean. Like yeah, it, no, no, it no. hurt my feelings that she was in that. But she she's an American gem. I love her to death. Um. <laughs> so Sandra Bullock, Charlize Theron, and Kristen something or the other from Sex in the City. I'll have adopted mm-hmm. black children. Mm-hmm. And um, Madonna, Angelina Jolie has as well. And I'm just like, like part of me is like, well, I'm glad those children are going to have a wonderful life, hopefully, with these famous non-people of color I hope but then again I'm also like why these young black people why these these poor little black children did you bring your white ass from on high down to save mm-hmm. like I just don't I, I, I just can't get that I can't wrap my head around that um I always said I would adopt a white child and change their name to something ethnic just to fuck with people. Just to be like, just to be like, honestly, (laughs) if Zach was a little bit younger, I would have changed his name to Jerome or something like that. (laughs) If he had come to me, instead of being a full grown man when he came, his name would have been Jerome or Marcus or something. Like, it would have been Mm -hmm. equally an ethnic name. Um, Because I really just don't see the need for it. Mm. I don't see why this person gets to save this child and think that they're going to give them a better life. Now, granted, those people will give them a better life. 
probably a better life than they would have had in the foster system or something like that. But... But not a better life than a black family. Right, exactly, exactly. What are their intentions behind Exactly. Especially, especially, and again, you know, not saying that everybody has bad intentions. Right. Maybe they haven't examined it enough. Um, But you've got to see, like, these people who are just surrounding them with white people. Like, why are there no other people of color here? Why does their hair look like that? Like, you know, I mean, you you can't just strip someone of their background. Their culture. Yeah, their culture. Their culture. Absolutely. So, and that's just, that's one of many reasons that I'm just like, mm, white saviors, I don't have time for you. I'm not sure yeah. what your agenda is or what guilt you're trying to overcome, but leave our black children alone. Mm. Now, does that mean that I am right in saying that? No, it does not. I just don't get what they're trying to do. And I'll be the first to say that. That, that's all I got for you on that. Um, it is, it's crazy when you think about the world that we live in and how some of us try so hard to be not necessarily something we're not, but we try to be something else in order to make another person feel good mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I I that's where my line is drawn you know that's how that because I'm, I'm guilty of that myself um, I will change my voice I'll change my manner of speaking in order for other people to feel more comfortable um And I mean, that's that's who I am. Um, is it right? No, by no means is it right. But that's what I do. I understand. Would you feel comfortable like, sharing an example of that? Like when you would feel the need to, is it fair to say? Um, Code switch? Yeah. Yeah, that's very fair to call it that. Um Let's see. So my voice, you've heard my voice. You heard the way I talk. No, I don't believe I have. (laughs) (laughs) You've heard the way I talk, stuff like that. Um, But it's very different from the way I talk to my husband at times. Um, I make sure to use infliction. I make sure to show... Not show emotion, but to give you an idea that there's emotion behind my voice so that you don't feel uncomfortable with the deadpan nature of my my general personality of just like blah. Mm-hmm. That's how I am. That's that's who I truly am. I'm a blah person. I don't really care. It's not important. Like that's how that's the portrayal I give off in my voice. So that is one of those things that certain white people find uncomfortable. 
They do not like someone who is, um, who doesn't come across the way they feel that they should come across. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So more of the like bubbly. I mean, you can only do um, so much for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm only, I'm, I, you, you can make it rain, but you can't make it crumble or you can't make it thunderstorm. <laughs> um, I'm just not that person anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's like you see me and you see one version of who I want you to see. But very few people have ever seen the true me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you do feel like you have to be somebody else in order to make other people more comfortable. Like you need to, you have to kind of put on a show sometimes. And that's got to be exhausting. (laughs) So you watch what you say and how you say it. So at my school, the school I work at, I work with predominantly 95% white women. Mm. Uh, there are Sounds like a good time Yeah, there are One, two, three, <laughs> four, five Six Seven black staff members um, A few Latinx staff members And I want to say two Of Indian or Arabic descent That work there Rest are white so whenever I I recall like one of my first days, I came in and I said good morning, and they were like whoa, what's what's wrong? And I was like nothing's wrong, and they were like you just sound so unhappy, and I was like oh crap, I'm sorry, blah 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 blah. I I was just thinking about something and whatever whatever, and I'm like oh, okay just just making sure, and I was like damn it you let the mask slip. You completely let the mask slip and they saw your true form for a minute and scared the shit out of them. Mm. So yeah, I mean it's what happens. It's it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you don't want to be the loudest person in the room because you don't want people to be like, Oh, he's he's one of them. He's so loud. You don't want to be the angriest person. When someone makes you angry, you can't raise your voice. You have to bring your voice down. Um, when, when, when a white person stands up to get in your face, you can't get in their face because that would be intimidating to them. Like, these are all things that I've noticed. But those same things... Where people be like, well, Patrick's such a good guy. He's such a wonderful person. He just, he always brings joy to my life. And, like, I remember one time I was with Phyllis. And I swear, she was like, who does that? I mean, like, it was just, it was so, like, the stuff she heard was so unexpected. She was like, this one? We're not talking about the same guy. This is what I do. I bring joy in people's lives. That's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) So it's 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 strange. It's it's definitely something that I'm aware of that I have to do in order to be 
accepted or socially approved by my white compatriots. People want to act like we're so far removed from very, you know, racially charged periods when, you know, when referring to, you know, slavery and and segregation and things like that. But, I mean, the statements that you just made sounded like somebody could have, you know, could have been straight out of 1960. Oh, yeah. Like, you have to make yourself less intimidating to other people. Um, And, you know, that's that's super unfair and it keeps you from being able to be yourself a lot because you have to fit in this box in order to make other people comfortable and i feel like we as as queer people do the same thing oh Um, yes but you know it's just it's a whole other level with you because there's no you know, there's no amount of code code switching you can do that yeah. will change the color of your skin. Yeah. And it's got to eat away at your soul a little bit every time you do it. It does. Am Alex. I wrong? I, I yeah. thank you so much for for being here to sort of help me realize how, how down I am as a black person and, and just helping me to realize how I need to pat myself up. <laughs> Here I go again. Thank you, white savior, for helping, Here I go me, again. helping me to realize. But yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's very true. Um, we code switch as LGBTQ people to make ourselves more comfortable in certain situations. Um, I do it when I'm in a room full of white women so that they don't think I'm trying to take them for their goodies, I, I, my femininity will be a lot stronger. Or I'll say girl or something. I mean, something so stupid. But mm-hmm. I do it so that they'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's crazy. But it's very true, and that's what... It's, it's yeah. That's, that's the world we live in. It's funny how we started off talking about white saviors, and we ended up on code switching. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know... At the core of all of it is white supremacy and just baked into our culture. Yes. And we have to talk about these things because, you know, even as, quote, woke folks, you know, there's a lot that, there's a lot to deconstruct. Yeah. A whole lot. Yes. Very, very much so. And I'm really glad that we can have these open conversations in which I'm super uncomfortable. And I'm sure that you and everybody can tell that. But that's, <laughs> that's what I need. That's what we all need. Are you uncomfortable, Is, is uncomfortable. that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> you're uncomfortable? Is that how you feel? I, it's, we have to learn. If we're not uncomfortable, then we're not learning. 
and we're not having, I, I don't know, I feel like any real conversation has the potential to be uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And almost should be. Yes, very much so. Around these topics anyway. Yeah. That's I mean, the whole reason that we wanted to do this show. Like, yeah, we want to tell jokes and we want to laugh and we want to talk about fun stuff. But this is this is the, the good stuff that we've really wanted to get into. Yes, very much so. Well, Alex, this has been a great episode. I hope that I we helped alleviate some of your white guilt. Um, which I imagine well, that was the, next, the whole point of right, it. Right, exactly. Which I imagine the next episode will be about Alex's white guild and how do we uh-huh. help her deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> My own new segment. <laughs> yes, very much so. Well, this, again, this has been a great episode. I've, I've enjoyed this because I love making you uncomfortable, as we all know. Mm-hmm. I love our sassy swirl talk. Yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. um, I'm really hyped at our what we've done together and what we're doing together what we're building so anytime you need someone to give you a little bit of mm, to show you how you should be acting just let me slap know. you back down yeah, yeah. Just any, that's what i'm always looking get a little for that. high yeah. on yourself just be like you know what mm-hmm. i need to talk to patrick he can not even constructive criticism just straight up criticism straight up like "Mm, you thought that was good Mm. I feel better I mean (laughs) whatever works for you that's all that matters you didn't want to do your hair (laughs) (laughs) you didn't brush your teeth this morning oh you did oh Oh, well bless your heart (laughs) (laughs) yes very much so Uh, well thank you for joining Joining us for today's episode of Sassy Swirl Talk. Yes. Showing our sass. Yes. <laughs> On the White Savior Complex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Alex. And I'm Patrick. And just remember that I'm a black man that is proud to be black. I want to help black community, but I love all mankind. Those are great words from common. Thank you very much.